Happy Easter. It's great to see all of you. Thank you for being with us here at South Park Church. I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. Uh, welcome those of you who are with us here in our traditional sanctuary worshiping. Also, those of you joining us from upstairs in our modern sanctuary, or those of you online streaming or on our podcast, a lot of different ways to plug in, but one God, one church, and one message today. And it's just awesome to be here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, as Chris and uh, Pastor Lindsay said upstairs, uh, we are in the midst of this sermon series called In Plain Sight, in which we've been looking for God in everyday life, that we believe that God is among us and that we can encounter the risen Christ each and every day if we know where to look. And so if you're looking for God, you're in the right place. We're going to try to help point you in the right direction. And each week we've been looking at a different everyday object that Jesus would have encountered on his way to Jerusalem to die on the cross. So that when we see those objects in our everyday lives, it will remind us of a biblical truth. And so we're going to continue doing that today. But first I'd like to invite you to help me uh, figure out a puzzle here uh, that I'm going to show you in just a minute. Uh, last weekend... Uh, my wife, Laura, and our youngest son, Nathan, went to the Charlotte Knights baseball game here in town. It was a mother-son event for Nathan's school, uh, and they had a great time doing that. And in the meantime, my older son, Luke, and I had some time together, so we decided to go see a movie together. And we wanted to see the movie Creed 3. It's a boxing movie. And so we searched for that movie and found it was playing in nearby Monroe. So here's the puzzle for you. I've got a photo of our movie stub, our movie tickets. Uh, I don't know if you can see from where you are in your seat, but there's a difference between the tickets. Can you see what that is? You want to squint up there and see what that is? Price, right? So one of them was $14.68. One was $12.01. Do you know why that is? Do you see right beside it on the left? The first one was an adult VIP ticket. That was Luke's ticket. And the next one says senior VIP. <laughs> they gave me a senior discount. Welcome to your world. To your world. <laughs> I'm like, nothing wrong with seniors. I love y'all. Y'all do great living life to the full, but I got a few more years before I retired, so I didn't even ask for this, right? This young teenage clerk sold me the ticket here. This guy's here with his old grandpa or something. Let's give him the senior ticket, right? So I guess that was a sign for me that I'm aging out. Wow, right? So, well, today I want to read a passage of scripture where a group of people are asking Jesus for a sign. They've heard him being called the Son of God, God himself, the Messiah, the Savior, and they're going to say to him, Jesus, give us a sign that you are who you say you are. And if we're honest, each of us would probably like a sign that God is real. Talk to me out loud. Talk to me through a burning bush. Give me a miracle, Jesus. Show me a sign that you're real just like you were in biblical days. I think it's okay to want that in our lives. But in this passage of Scripture, the people that were asking for the sign were some of the religious leaders of the day called the Pharisees. And they didn't really like Jesus. They thought he was threatening their power, and so they were always trying to trap him and attack him. And they've just accused him of being in league with the devil himself. And so now they're getting ready to ask Jesus 
for a sign that he is who he says he is. Let's see what Jesus says to these leaders. Matthew 12, uh, verses 38 following. Then some of the Pharisees, his religious leaders, and the teachers of the religious law said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And Jesus answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. I know what's in your heart, what you're trying to do here, people. But none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man, Jesus, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. See, these Pharisees asked for a sign. Show us that you're the Messiah. Show us that you're God. Show us that you're the Son of God. And Jesus says to them, here's your sign. You remember the, the prophet Jonah who lived 750 years ago? Right? He was swallowed by a big fish for three days and for three nights. That's your sign. For the Son of Man, me, I'm going to be in a tomb for three days and for three nights. And that is your sign. Interesting answer that Jesus gave to these religious leaders. And maybe you've heard the story of Jonah, maybe you haven't, but, and that's okay. So Jonah lived about 750 years before Jesus. He was a prophet, which means a spokesperson for God. And God came to Jonah and said to him, Jonah, I have a mission for you. I want you to go and preach about me to the people who live in the city of Nineveh. Now you would think that someone who's a prophet of God would have God talking to them directly, would do exactly what they what God wanted them to do, but Jonah resisted this because the people that lived in Nineveh, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria that was the enemy nation of Israel. And they were at war and bad things were happening. It would be like God going to the Ukraine today and saying to a pastor there, I want you to go and preach the word of God to the people who live in Moscow. I want you to get up and go and do that. Now, if I was that pastor living in the Ukraine and God came to me and said that, I'm like, God, I love you, but there's no way that I'm going to Moscow and preaching your word. There's just no way. And so that's what Jonah did. He said, no, I, I can't do it, God. And so Jonah went the exact opposite way. He went as far away as he could in the opposite direction of Nineveh. He got on a boat and started sailing the opposite way of Nineveh. But God wanted Jonah to do this, so God caused a storm to happen. The storm comes up, the people in the boat start freaking out. They throw all the cargo overboard so they hope they can outrun the storm, but they can't do that. So then they, they cast lots, just kind of like throwing dice, and it kind of lands at Jonah's feet. And so they know that Jonah probably is responsible for this. They're like, hey, man, what's the deal? What's going on? And Jonah, being kind of a noble guy, said, you know what? This is my fault. Throw me overboard, and you're going to be safe. The storm will stop. They're like, we can't throw you overboard. Right? And so the people on the ship started trying to row the boat away from the storm, but they couldn't do it. They didn't want to sacrifice Jonah, but it wasn't working. So finally they relented and said, we're sorry about this. But they chucked him into the water. And then if, if you heard this, especially as a child, right, Jonah's in the water, and God calls us this big fish. Some of us think it might be a whale, maybe something even bigger than that. Swallows Jonah. The fish is so big that Jonah's in the belly of the whale. For three days and three nights. Here's what it says in the book of Jonah. Jonah 1.17, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is what Jesus says to the religious leaders. You want a sign that I'm God? You want a sign that I'm the Messiah? This is a sign. Just as Jonah 
was in the whale for three days and for three nights, I will be in the tomb. I will be dead. I will be killed for three days and for three nights. That is the sign that I am the Son of God, that I am God himself. So let me ask you another question today. Have you ever felt like Jonah or Jesus to where something in life has swallowed you up and it's terrible? Have you felt like Jesus and and you feel like you're trapped in the tomb behind a huge stone that you can't move and there seems to be no hope? What has swallowed you up in life? What tomb are you stuck in now? Some of us have lost our jobs. Some of us uh, are in a relationship that's not going well. Some of us want to be in a relationship and we can't do it. Right? Some of us want to have children. It's not possible. Some of us want to have grandchildren. It's, it's not possible. Right? Some of us are depressed. Some of us are oppressed. Right? Some of us are battling diseases or illnesses. Some of us have lost loved ones to death. And we know exactly what it feels like to be Jonah in the belly of the whale. We know exactly what it feels like to be like Jesus trapped in a tomb. And apparently there's no hope. What belly are you in right now? What tomb are you in right now in your life? Where is your hope? Where is the good news? Now, I want to clarify a couple of things here. One, Jonah was in the whale, the belly of the fish, because he was disobeying God directly. God told him to do something. He didn't do it, so God caused the storm to come. God caused the fish to swallow up Jonah, right? If you're going through a hard time right now, like someone's sick or, or you lost your job or you're physically ill, I don't think God causes that to happen to you. Now, I think if God has called you to do something and you're ignoring that, then God's probably working on the inside of you to where you don't feel satisfied. There's just something missing in your life, right? If you're running from God, I think the way that manifests itself today is there's just something not right in my life. There's something missing in my life. I have all the things that should make me happy, but I'm not happy, right? So I I think if, if you're running from God, that's the way that God works. But I think most of us are in bellies of fish or we're in tombs that God hasn't caused at all, right? It's something maybe that we've done. We've made a bad decision and now we're facing the consequences. Or we haven't done anything wrong. Someone else has used their freedom of will, free choice to do something to us and it's hurting us. It's not our fault. Someone else is is causing our life to be a living hell. Or sometimes bad stuff just happens. A rainstorm comes, a tree falls on your car, smashes you up, have to go to the hospital. God didn't cause it. No one else caused it. It just happens. What fish are you in? What tomb are you in? And where's the good news? Well, let's see how Jonah dealt with being swallowed up by that big fish for three days underwater, trying to figure out what to do. What did Jonah do? Where did he look for hope? Where did he look for good news? Let's see what Jonah does. Jonah 2, verses 1 and following. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. When you're stuck in the tomb, when you're stuck in the belly, you're not alone. Turn to God. Jonah prayed to God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You did not abandon me. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers, they swept over me. And I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. 
The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. Could you imagine being stuck in this big fish underwater like Jonah? That'd be terrifying and probably pretty smelly. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Right? What's an idol? Anything we love more than God. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I would have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah on the dry land. He's probably like, thank you, vomit never smelled so good, right? When Jonah was in the belly of the fish, when there seemed to be no hope, when he had disobeyed God, what did he do? He turned to God, and he was comforted, right? He was not alone. God was with him. If you're in the belly of the fish, if you're in a tomb somewhere, know that you're not alone, that God is with you and that you can turn to God just like Jonah did. You are not alone. Jonah also learned within the belly of that fish that there was a lesson to be learned, right? There was a change that needed to happen, right? Jonah needed to be transformed, right? Something in Jonah needed to die, right, so that God could be in charge, right? Jonah was trying to do it Jonah's way. Jonah had pride, Jonah had ego, and that needed to die so that God could live, right? So when we're sometimes in the belly of that fish, something might be transforming. We might be learning a lesson, right? God meets us where we are and helps us become who we were created to be. Transformation is happening in the life of Jonah. And also in the belly of that whale, God is already working to bring good into Jonah's life. God is working to bring good into Jonah's life, right? So if you're stuck in the belly somewhere, know God's with you. God's working to bring good into your life. And God might be transforming you using the challenge that you're facing to bring something better into your life. I love this quote uh, by Soren Kierkegaard. He's kind of like a Christian philosopher, lived a long time ago. But he says, life must be lived forward, but it can only be understood backward, right? We live life, we don't understand it until we get down the road a little bit, we get some perspective, we look back and say, you know what, that was a hard time. But God was with me, and God got me through it. And now I'm the other side of that, right? We live life forward, but it only makes sense when we look backwards. So when the people asked Jesus for a sign, and he said, the only sign that you're going to get is the sign of Jonah, that just sounds ridiculous, right? But what better describes our lives than the sign of Jonah, Life has goodness in it, and life has challenges, right? There's always going to be a belly of a whale that we're in, right? And so we face difficult things, and we look forward to getting through them, right? So the sign of Jonah is very realistic, right? In our lives, there are ups and there are downs, and God is with us through it all, right? So if we're going through a hard time, know that God is with you, and we'll see you through it, right? And I used to think, like, in my life, like, Either things are always great or things are terrible. Like, you know what? I'm in the belly of the whale. It's terrible. Oh, it's, it's awful. Oh, I've been puked out of the whale. Things are a lot better. Right? It's, it's, it's good or bad. But, but what I've discovered is it doesn't work that way. There's always something in my life that's going well where I've gotten out of the fish. I've gotten out of the tomb, right? There's something in my life going well. And there's something in my life that's stuck in a tomb. There's something in my life that's stuck in the belly of the whale, right? So... Things could be going well at work, 
and things at home are not going well. Or it could be the opposite. Things at home are going well, but things at work aren't going well, or things at school aren't going well, right? Do you see how that works? There's always something going right. We're on the other side of the fish. We're on the other side of the stone. And there's always something that's a challenge in our life, right? And God's with us through that. So the sign of Jonah I think it's a very realistic answer that Jesus gives. There's always something we're wrestling with. There's always something that's joyful in our life. Celebrate the joy. And when you're wrestling with something, know that God's with you and is working to bring good in your life. Right? So at some point, hopefully, the fish pukes us out. Right? At some point, hopefully, the stone is rolled away. And that's what we're here to celebrate today is Jesus' resurrection Victory over death, victory over evil, right? At some point, right, we get out of the tomb, we get out of the fish. Let's, let's read this together. This is what's awesome today is the resurrection. Luke 24, verses 1 and following. On the first day of the week after Jesus had been killed, very early in the morning, the women disciples took the spices they had prepared to go to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, right? This is probably a a two-ton stone had been rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning, possibly angels, stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? I love this. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Right? Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen, right? He is risen indeed. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man, another title for Jesus, must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Right? So these women go. They're sad that Jesus died. They get there. The angels are there. The big stone's been rolled away. And Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. I've got a, a picture here of one of the two places in Israel that people believe the tomb of Jesus is. I don't think this really is the place, but I think it's what it looked like. So you can see like the, the rectangle there is, is the door. Behind that is like a stone cave where Jesus would have been. And there would have been a big flat rock on If you go to the next slide, this is a different location. Had the big rock that kind of like a big quarter rolled over. About two tons though, it'd be hard to move that. Um, some other archaeologists, though, really think that instead of a round stone, it was a square stone like a cork that was kind of stuck in there. So that's another belief. But I like the round stone better. So we're going to roll with that today. All right, you guys cool with that? So when you came in today, I hope you were handed one of these stones. Um, this is to remember the stone of Jesus. It's not two tons, so you can carry this, take this home. Um, I apologize that we had to ration these. Uh, we ordered these weeks ago, ordered all that they had. Uh, and a big part of our shipment was sent to Georgia. Don't know why. Maybe the, the Christians in Georgia need these stones too. So uh, if you didn't get one, I think I see some extra ones outside the table there. Please grab one on, on the way out. But this is to kind of remember uh, the stone of Jesus. At some point, hopefully the fish vomits us out. At some point, the, the stone is rolled away. And whatever it is that we're wrestling with is better. Our relationship is repaired. We find another job. We, we feel better. The illness goes away, right? We, we have these celebrations in our lives. Uh, we find a way to take a step forward fighting racism or sexism, right? We, we find good news in the world, and we can celebrate that. We've gotten on the other side of the stone, 
right? And so we do that. And by the way, my stone was gray like yours originally. Now it's turned black. It looks like a hockey puck. So I don't know if that's oxidized or whatever, but, but maybe that'll happen to your stone. But it's a symbol that's important. But if we're honest, we're also going to say, Kyle, you know, that, that's true. Good things happen. We get out of the belly of the fish. We get out of the tomb. All that kind of stuff happens and we celebrate. And that's why we're here today. But sometimes in this life, it, it doesn't end well. The divorce happens. We get dumped. We don't make the team. We don't become popular. Someone we love gets sick and dies. And they're stuck in the belly or they're stuck in the tomb. We're like, well, where's the good news now? The good news now is that this life is important and God works to bring goodness into our lives now. And if it's not completed, God completes that in the next life, in the glorious kingdom of heaven. That our relationships can be repaired there, that uh, we can live on in heaven if we've lost someone to death, that we will see them again if, if we follow Jesus together. And so we have the hope that, yes, things get better in this life and it's important in this life, but also we have the hope of heaven, right? And I know some of us are sitting here thinking, well, that's a great thing, Kyle. And I, I really want there to be heaven. I really wish there was a heaven. But sometimes it seems like it's too good to be true. It's like a pipe dream. It's like a crutch we have to make up to say, you know what, life's tough. We, people are going to die. And I'd love for there to be a heaven. But how can we know that? How can we prove that, right? And, and we can't. But I, I want to challenge that. I just want to think about this. I want to. I read something that I'm going to tell you about, and it blew my mind, and you're probably not going to believe me. So here's the citation. I want you to take a picture of this. Um, it's from Harvard Medical School. You can Google this. You can look it up on the Internet, right? The, the question is, has the first person to live to be 150 been born? Okay. Somebody alive today going to live to be 150 years old. Harvard Medical School it's an interview with David Sinclair and Jae Hyun Yang. Uh, those are Harvard geneticists. Or in an interview with Alvin Powell, January 2023. Okay, take a picture of that. If you don't believe what I'm saying, go look it up. Right, I'm, I'm just repeating to you what these Harvard medical people said. Okay, so next slide says that uh, inside of our bodies is uh, something called an epigenome. Right, these are molecules that tell our DNA what to do. Right, so these are like the basic blocks of our of our body. So inside of every cell is this epigenome kind of stuff. Um, and what's cool is they've determined that in every cell of your body, every cell of my body, there's a backup copy of this epigenome, right? So here's, here's what that means. If the scientists can figure out how to hack this, it's, they see it kind of as the software that runs our body, right? If your heart begins to wear out, there's a backup copy of your heart that can be reset and your heart can become healthy again. If your eyes lose their vision, there's a backup copy in your cells that can be reset and you can see again. If your brain develops Alzheimer's or dementia and something's wrong in your wiring, they can reset back to the original backup copy and you no longer have Alzheimer's. If your cancer is in your body and your cells are attacking the healthy cells, right, they can be reset to have no cancer in your body. Scientists believe this is happening and this technology is going to be hacked and that someone who's been born already is going to live to be over 150 years old. Because all you have to do is hit the reset button, hit the reset button. Listen, they're experimenting on mice and primates, and I, I'm not going to go into the ethics of whether that's right or wrong, but they've been able to restore uh, blindness in mice. They've been able to reset mice 
eyes, right? The three blind mice are no longer blind, right? <laughs> They've been able to do that. They've been able to fast forward uh, in mice. They can, they can age them. They, they can even reverse this and, and make them grow older faster. Now, I don't want that, right? But, uh, right, so they are working on this. Now, just imagine what that could do. Like human beings hacking into how God created us. No more heart disease, no more cancer, no more liver disease, no more Alzheimer's, right? Just imagine what could happen, right? It's amazing to think what the world could be like. We could all live to be 150 years old. They said it can make you look younger, right? Your hair can come back, right? All, all kinds of things like that. But then I begin thinking, like, just because we can, does that mean that we should, you know? So if we all start living to be 150 years old, where are we going to live? <laughs> are we going to have enough food? Are we going to have enough resources to feed everybody? I'm guessing this isn't going to be cheap, that someone's going to make money off of this. And so probably not everybody in the world is going to be able to receive this treatment unless you have a lot of money. Right? It also, to me, kind of devalues the aging process. Right? It, that, you know, in the Bible it says that gray hair is a crown of glory. That growing older and wiser is something that we should revere. Right? In our country, we see it the opposite of that. Right? Where, where does that go? And how long would you actually have to work? Right? If you live to be 150, would you go to school for the first 40 years of your life? You're just a young whippersnapper at 40, right? And, and we love our jobs, but do we want to work until we're 130 years old, right? What is, what is retirement? So just because we can doesn't mean that we should. I don't know. It's interesting to think about. But, you know, if someone in my family had heart disease and I loved them, I'd want them to have that reset button pushed. But here's where I am on this. If human beings like you and me can almost literally be able to reset our bodies based on how God built them to live 150 years, is it a stretch to say that God can resurrect us from the dead? I don't think so. If we can do this as humans, what can God do? I think God can upload our consciousness into our new bodies and we can live forever. And and by the way, I think heaven's going to be a place like another dimension that has a lot of room, (laughs) right? Because it's going to be all kinds of people from all kinds of time periods. And I think that God's going to have something for us to do for eternity. I don't think we're just going to be sitting on our cosmic couch eating cosmic junk food for all of eternity, right? I think God is going to have something more interesting for us to do. But if human beings can do this kind of stuff, what can God do? What kind of a stone can God roll away? We've talked a lot today about different things. What's the point? What's the big idea? What's the takeaway? If you get your stone out... This is what I think it is. Jesus is with us on both sides of the stone. Jesus is with us on both sides of the stone. If life is terrible for you right now, if you're going through a hard time, if you're suffering, if you're wrestling, if you're in the belly of the fish, if you're on the other side of the tomb, you're not by yourself. Jesus is with you. Jesus has been there. Jesus knows what it's like. Jesus is working to bring good into your life. You are not hopeless. If you're on the wrong side of the stone, don't despair because God is with you, right? Jesus is on both sides of the stone, right? Jesus is also with us on the other side of the stone, right? When relationships repair, when the new job comes, right? When we are healed, right? When, when the resurrection comes at the end of time and we all die and we come back to life, right? Jesus is alive, right? Jesus is with us on the other side of the stone. Jesus is with us on both sides of the stone. Praise God, that's the good news, right? And so I want you to take these stones home. 
you can paint these. They're made to be painted. Maybe paint some, something pretty or just leave it like it is. And let this be a reminder to you. If you're in the tomb, you're in the belly, God's with you. If you made it through the tomb, made it through the belly on the other side, God's with you. If you got some part of your life in the tomb, some part of your life on the other side of the tomb, God is with you. And three things I want to ask you to consider doing as an action step, okay? Jesus is with us on both sides of the tomb. The first one is this. Look for Jesus when I'm trapped behind the stone. When you're trapped behind the stone, when you're in the belly of the fish, look for Jesus. You're not alone. God's working for good in your life. God's helping you to be transformed into something, right? You are not alone. Right? Next thing we can do, don't forget Jesus when we make it outside the stone, right? A lot of us, we're in the stone, oh, God, I need you. I'm in the belly of the fish. Help me, Lord. We get out. We're like, hey, that's nice. I don't need God anymore, right? Sometimes we don't actively say it, but we just we move on with our lives without Jesus till we need him again. Right? Don't forget Jesus on the other side of the stone. He loves you. He wants to be with you. He wants to celebrate great things that are happening in your life. Embrace that. Embrace that. And finally today, if you have not yet done it, receive Jesus right now. Know that Jesus created you in God's image and that you are beautiful and wonderful and good. There's so much goodness in you. Jesus also gave you the ability to choose and to make decisions. And sometimes you and I make bad decisions. And we hurt ourselves and we hurt other people. And we bring guilt and shame into our lives. We bring death into our lives. We bring hell into our lives, which means broken relationships. And Jesus said, that's not what I intended. And that's why he came and he died on a cross and he laid in that tomb for three days and for three nights so that our guilt and our shame and our sin and, and our death and our hell is all taken away. And when Jesus is alive and rises from the dead, now we can be forgiven. We can have joy and inner peace and life to the full now and forever in the kingdom of heaven. If you don't have that, if you don't have that relationship with Jesus, ask him today. Lord, thank you for dying on a cross and coming back to life for me. Please forgive me of the wrong things that I've done. Live in me and give me a life that is full and help me to share that life with other people and help them to live a life that is full. So at the beginning of my message, I said that I received an unwanted sign that I'm growing old as I got that movie ticket. The Pharisees asked Jesus, show us a sign, show us a sign. And he said, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. And you and I, if we're honest, we'd love to see a sign from Jesus too. Are you real? Are you there? Right? Can you show me a sign? This is your sign. Jesus is with us on both sides of the stone. Jesus is with us on both sides of the stone. Thanks be to God. Happy Easter in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.